This morning we're going to be uh, walking through chapter 2 of 1 John, and um, we'll be ending our service with communion as well. So if you were um, with us two weeks ago um, during this service, um, you got to be witness to a pretty intense emotional moment um, for me. And, um, you know, as we talked about um, the gospel, right, and impacting our life and, and engaging and, and actually um, being honest, you know, um, with who we are in relationship to the cross. Um, yeah, you saw that kind of really hit me and really overwhelm me, and I was up here bawling my eyes out, losing it, um, you know, and just trying to uh, sputter through, um, communicate something that was going on, you know, emotionally inside. Um, but I wanted to revisit that a little bit um, because I think that um, it's important to understand what that was. Um, for me, you know, it took me a couple of days afterwards to really be like, okay, so yeah, what was all that, <laughs> you know? And there was part of me that wanted to keep it that, you know? Just let it be Sunday and not think about it and let it go and just be like, that was a moment, you know, whatever. Or to minimize it and be like, you know, that wasn't anything to make note of, um, there was part of me that actually wanted to, like, find something to blame, you know, like, oh, it was that thing in me, or it was, you know, if this person would have just said this, or whatever, you know, um, but all those, you know, I knew they were lies, you know, and that um, the reality is of, like, when we actually get ourselves before the cross, when we um, allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the reality of the gospel, it can't not have an emotional response, you know. And um, in that sermon, I had talked about this role within us um, called the, I called it the detached protector because that's my counseling language. And, and it's that thing that um, kind of filters for us, you know. And, and two weeks ago, that, that filter for me really got broken down, you know. And it, it really, um, it left me vulnerable, to God's word. And, and I think after spending some time thinking about it, um, talking about it with some um, people who I trust in my life, like I think that's really what that was. was, that, was that was me being raw, me being vulnerable, me not allowing anything to guard my heart from the word of God and the reality of his spirit working in my heart and in my life. And I imagine for some of you that authenticity um, was uncomfortable. I know there was part of me that was uncomfortable with that vulnerability being so public. Um, but I think that's a picture, too, of the honesty that God wants us to walk into his presence. And not that you have to sob like I did, you know, every time you go to God. Um, but that there's this realness 
there's no filter, you know, hashtag no filter, um, coming as we go into relationship with Jesus Christ. When we engage him in our scriptures, when we pray to him, when we are worshiping and singing. And there's something really amazing, you know, and and part of me the next couple of days wanted to kind of re-engage that detached protector, you know, not sure of how people would respond to that, not sure what people would say or think. And I just kept thinking about um, David when he dances before the Lord. And it's like with this abandonment and this like just total like expression of worship and, and how um, he was criticized, you know, and yet he said like, no, that was for the Lord. You know, and and that that I'm not necessarily making that comparison. Um, that's not about me, but that's about actually like what what's available when we let go of that that um, that part of us. You know, that wants to protect us from hurt, wants to protect us from pain, but wants to protect us from feeling. You know, and and the reality is that there's actually pain that we need to feel in our life if we're going to engage a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we say over there on that wall, we say, we are the wayward children of God. And if you stop there in your belief and in your relationship with God, you're going to feel ashamed. You're going to feel um, unworthy and you're going to feel filthy, you know? Um, and we need to pause there, that's for sure, right? We actually have to sit with that reality that we are wayward children and acknowledge that and personalize that. But then we don't stop there because it goes on to say that we're children of God, forgiven and redeemed by God's grace who are being transformed by his power into his character. And, and both those things are really important, you know, because if we sit with the waywardness and we allow that, then the forgiven and the redeemed part just carries so much power and so much influence into who we are and how we see ourselves and how we engage and relate to God. I believe that God desires to have access to us in that way on a, a more routine basis, you know, like not just a moment, but that that's a posture that God desires to engage us, that God wants us to be open to. Um, and yet we are so accustomed to this detached protector, this part of ourselves coming and guarding us from that. And yet, like we long, right? We so long for the love and the relationship with God our Father that yet it's like, do we take the risk and do we pull that down so that we can potentially maybe experience that? And that's kind of what our thought is, right? But the reality is if we do let that down, we are going to experience that. That is available. This morning we read um, Psalm 95, and verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, 
our maker, for he is our God. It's this posture, right? It's this invitation. Sometimes God does come barreling through and he busts that like hardened part of ourselves right out and we get confronted with that, you know? Um, But God wants to invite us into it, you know? This is the whole like idea of free will, right? Like God wants us to, on our own accord, let down that defense and let him in. And, And so it's this posture of come, Worship, bow down, get on your knees, right? Pray to God, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. When we know how we're coming to God, that we're coming because we are his people, there's safety in that. When we can keep that in our minds and in our hearts that we are his people, we are children of God, then when we come into his presence, There's authority. We can boldly approach because of who we are. And there's safety in that. When a child, right, is hurt or crushed, a great picture of that is when they trust their parent to be able to go to them, run to them and say, you know, this happened. This, This embarrassing thing happened to me. And I'm running to you because you're safe. You will affirm me for who I am. You will comfort me in the midst of this pain. And that's, that's what God asks of us. God the Father, we children, coming to him. It's safety. We can trust it. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. If you remember this story, this is when the Israelites were complaining that they didn't have water. And woe were they, for God brought them out of Egypt where they were fine, and they were longing for Egypt. They actually wanted slavery over freedom. Um, And yet, and so they were grumbling and they're complaining. Moses says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's all like, you know, annoyed, like, ah, these people. And um, the Lord says, you know, take your staff, strike the rock, and from it will come water. And so God provides water. But their hearts got hardened, right? And, and this is the thing. When we don't hear the voice of God, our hearts are hardened. And I would flip it around to say that if our hearts are hardened, it's going to be hard to hear the voice of God. Because we are not actually being raw. We're not being vulnerable. We're not being authentic in our approach to God. And so then our, our, our ability to hear is going to be skewed because that, that detached protector, that, that filter with which we hear everything, is going to filter out what God says that we don't like because it might cause us pain. It might be the thing that we need to hear to lead us to confession, but confession is scary. Confession hurts. So I'm not going to hear it. And so it gets filtered out. And we don't actually then get to engage God and get to be free. And so we are stuck with the slavery of being the wayward children, not of God not redeemed, not forgiven. And so the psalm, right, the psalmist is talking about, like, don't be like that. It gives us a warning. It gives us this opportunity to look at and say, hey, this is how this goes. God still provided water. He still cared for his people because it's on account of who he is, not on account of who we are. If you turn to 1 John 
chapter 2, he picks up on this right away. And um, verses 12 through 14, he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What is Rashan saying? He's saying it's on his name's sake that our sins are forgiven. It's not on account of what we do. It's not on account of who we are. It's on his name's sake. This is another kind of like posture or presentation of Jesus Christ to us in this way that it's, see, it's no responsibility of us to forgive us of of our sins. It's on account of him, on account of his namesake. So we are free of sort of the responsibility of salvation so that we may be safe, we may trust to come into his presence so that we can actually come before him. God takes away any excuse we might try to think of. God takes away any barriers that may be present for us to accept the invitation to come into his presence because it's on account of his name's sake. It's a part of his character. It's who he is. It goes on to say that, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you when you have overcome the evil one. A couple ways to look at this, right? He's talking about children. He's talking about young men. He's talking about fathers. All kind of different stages of life. He's also, so we could apply that physically, right? That this letter that he is writing is for all of us. It doesn't matter what age you are or what place you are in life. It's for everybody. Everybody is to receive what John is saying here. The other is um, some people read into it spiritually and we say like, oh, so if you're young at faith, if you're, you know, active or like kind of in the, in the um, climax of your faith, or if your fathers, you, you know, you've been in the faith for a while, still applies, right? This is still relevant. The message of John is still relevant for all of us to know. I also like how he builds, right? So that children, kind of like whether they're spiritually young or, or physically children, he says, I write to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. If this is something that we're learning early on, then this is a foundation. This is a building block upon what we are to grow upon. And that building block is knowing that we are forgiven, that that wayward Children is not where we stay. We get to go past that because we are forgiven. And we get to believe then in our identity as children of God. And then again, it's on his namesake, right? It's on account of him, not account of us as children, not anything we've done. He goes on to talk about fathers. He says, because you know him who is from the beginning. I don't know about you, but I I think about like my... um, my own relationship and knowledge of God. And so like as a kid, you know, you hear the stories, Jesus walks on water. And so you know Jesus as a man. And you know that Jesus was the son of God. So like he's both God and man, but your, your brain can't really like hold that, you know, as like an eight or nine year old, just like, all right, sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you believe that. And then, but then you get a little bit older and you hear a little bit more about like, oh, this is what the cross meant. And this is the power of the resurrection. You're like, wow. 
wow, that's really cool. And then you get a little bit older and you learn a little bit more, you read more, and you realize like John 1, 1, you know, it says, in, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And you're like, what? Like Jesus was at the beginning of the creation. You're like, that's awesome. And so your awareness of who God is and, and how Jesus is so present and permeates in all aspects of life. And so really could identify with that love, how like the mystery of Christ just continues to be unraveled as we walk through life and walk in our faith. And then he writes to the young men, you know, um, who have overcome the evil one. You know, kind of in that, in that place of like becoming really passionate. Like you ever, ever come across somebody who's new to the faith and they are just like on fire and they're just so passionate and they're like, well, we got to pray for that and we got to do this and we got to go tell that person about Jesus, you know? And, and it's like, that's exciting, you know? And, and yeah, there's some growth maybe there that has to happen and some maturity in the faith, but there's a passion for the awareness of what has been overcome in them and what Jesus Christ can overcome in the world. And there, there's this like posture with which they live out of. There's this... Um, Evangelist speaker, his name, he goes by Todd White. He, you know, lived his life and um, kind of for himself doing his thing. And, and he talks about that, you know, because he's like kind of like, he's, he knows his word really well. He's a great guy, but he's like, you know, came to faith after kind of doing whatever else he wanted in life. And he talks about how he's like, you know, just like that's such a reality for him that Jesus has overcome and that he stays in that posture and he walks it out, you know, and you're just like, that's awesome, you know, that's really cool, like, wow, that's so encouraging to my faith to see, you know, someone who's grown up in the church and kind of can get into the rhythm and the mundaneness of religion, you know, to see that passion in someone, you know, and it spurs you on, and it, it, it challenges your belief of like, yes, yes, God has overcome, Jesus Christ has overcome. The rest of chapter two, John's going to go into, and we're going to read it here, is that, um, he talks about love of the world versus love of God. And then he talks about the Antichrists. And um, not the Antichrist, um, but also just Antichrist, like people who come among us. And so I invite you to stand as we finish reading uh, John chapter 2. I'm going to read 15 to the end of the chapter, or to 27. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, in the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. 
Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Father God, we, um, we come to you this morning abiding in you. Knowing that whatever is said this morning, knowing that the word of God that was read this morning will not produce life unless we are abiding in you. Father, we just ask that you would guide us as we continue this morning, that you would prepare our hearts to the word of the Lord as we seek to come today to the common table to partake of your bread and cup. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. like to make the case that when we um, pursue the things of the world, when we embrace the antichrists or those who speak lies into our life, that these are the very things that although they may temporarily feel safe or though they may, uh, in our minds and in our processing of uh, our interactions with others, feel like it's the best option to keep ourselves from hurt and pain, that it's actually these, the world and the, the lies of people who don't have Christ in their heart that give the evidence or give credibility, if you will, to needing that detached protector, to needing to filter. And so we, we use this part of who we are to engage the world. And the world says we need it. Because we won't survive in this world without some sort of filter, some sort of um, hardening of ourselves to get through it. But the thing is that that hardening stays with us in our relationship with Jesus. That hardening interferes with our ability to be raw and be present. But yet, there's this, the world's too scary, right? Or the world doesn't allow for authenticity. The world doesn't allow for me to be vulnerable and raw. And that may be true. But Jesus Christ has overcome. Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven so that someone greater could come and we can walk with the Holy Spirit. And so then we trust ourselves, we trust our heart to God, to the Spirit. It says that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. So these are things internal, right? These are not just things external that come and interfere with us, but they're things that are internally driven. They're the part of us that applies to the waywardness of who we are, right? The sinful presence, you know, our desire of our own flesh. And those two, I would argue, 
encourage us to build this detached protector because we don't actually want to be called out. Like, have you ever been in a, in a, in a temptation or in a kind of a, a bad habit? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's even like gossiping or maybe it's just talking bad about someone or you're like in this, you know, you and your, your, your friend kind of like have consistently like put down someone. You ever have those moments where you're just like, I wish we could get out of that funk. Like, I wish we could just stop that, like, being a topic of conversation we have because, like, you know that it's not healthy, but yet you can't help not do it. That, right, that, that builds that hardening of our heart. Staying in that kind of a relationship, staying in that kind of a, a mentality of, like, yeah, we're just going to kind of go along with it, right? Like, even though it's internally like it makes you feel better because you're putting someone else down um, and you think it, it's, all, it's all fake, right? It's not actually something that you can stand upon. Your personality, your character won't be held up. Your self-esteem won't be able to stand strong on the putting down the negativity of others in your life. And so what that does is that actually requires that filter. It requires that detached protector to be present in our life because we actually then have to confess that I'm actually finding confidence. I'm actually trying to build up my self-esteem on something that has no value. And that, that hurts. That's painful. That's humbling. That's embarrassing. And those are emotions and feelings that we don't actually like to feel. But if we don't deal with those, if we don't confess them, then we actually won't soften our heart. Our heart stays hardened. And if our heart is hardened, then we can't hear the voice of God that says, no, abide in me. Confess your waywardness and you will be free. And that's the invitation. And that's, that's that part, that, that, that hardening of that heart that keeps us from hearing his voice, which allows then the lies of the Antichrist to creep in and tell us like, well, God doesn't speak to his people. Well, God does care, but he's here and I'm here and we're not actually in relationship together. And then we start thinking that we're not abiding with God the way that everybody else around us seems to be abiding with God. And, and then we feel lonely and we feel then that God doesn't care. And you see, it just goes on and on and our heart gets harder and harder, and harder. And then it takes more and more of God. And then we end up like the Pharisees and those following Jesus who say, give us a sign, even though in John 6, he just fed the 5,000 on the other side of the river, other side of the lake, they're asking him, like, give us a sign. And he's like, what was that? (laughs) They're like, no, we need another sign. Our hearts were so hard that they just, they're like, we want to, but we just don't believe it yet. And I know that we get to that place, right? Like we want to let down our defenses. We just, we just want to experience God. We want to experience the Spirit. We want it to flow through us. We want to be able to worship Him in, in just like a freedom from any kind of judgment or criticism. But our world tells us that we can't ever be that vulnerable. But God the Father says, no. You need to be that vulnerable because it's there in your weakness. I am made strong.
And so the invitation to us is to be that way. And to trust God with that pain, to trust God with that hurt that we think we're going to feel, that we don't think we're going to have the strength to get through. But God gives the promise, God gives the words like, abide in me and you will be in me and I will be in you. And he has overcome. There is nothing, you know, when he is on that cross, we're, we're going to be coming to this, this table where we join him, body broken. The body broken is what allows us to come to him and confess to him. Because everything that I need to confess, he has already received the punishment for. That's why he's whipped. That's why he's beaten and bruised. That's why he's stabbed in the side. Because his body is broken. Sin leads to death. He died on a cross because he took on that sin. And that, that's the gospel and that's the power of it. And And so if I allow my heart to be hardened and I don't become vulnerable in my relationship with him, then the cross and the power of the gospel only gets to influence and engage my life to the extent that I'm willing to let it in. If I don't believe that God has overcome the world, then I'm not going to engage the world with the vulnerability that actually comes with the power to overcome. takes practice. I don't expect us all to go out here and be like, yes, let's do that thing and be vulnerable. It's not easy. I know that. I lived it, right? I mean, that's that, that the two days after that, um, two weeks ago, right? Like, was like me waging this internal war within myself of like, no, like, stay honest with God. Stay real with him. Don't put back up that defense, right? Stay present, because it feels scary. It comes with a lot of risk. But when we, when we receive God, when we receive Christ in our life, John talks about this anointing. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. There is the confidence with which we can stand upon. That is the, uh, that's the, the truth of God's word that we can walk out learning to let that defensiveness down, learning to let that detached protector go and engage God and the anointing he has put on our life. God loves us. He knows us. He died on a cross for you. You're of value. You're of worth to him. And so that anointing is, is, it's a covering. You know, it's a setting apart, making something sacred. And in our culture today, there is a, a need for us to be set apart from culture. There's something that is supposed to be, um, you know, Friday night, they had the, the prayer and worship night and, um, um, one of the pastors, um, Pastor Jesse, she shared about from John 17, and it talked about like the unity of the body. And she's saying that it was, she made the point that it was the unity of the body that um, 
stood out to the people who were not a part of the body and drew them in to God. So that the church in its function is supposed to be unique. It's not supposed to do relationships the way the world does relationships because it's meant to draw people unto itself because of the intimacy that's available in the body of Christ because of who Christ is in our lives and because of the anointing that he has over each and every one of us and his church and his bride. Being known and knowing God is this journey that we walk out, and it's a desire of our heart. I want to read um, this reflection. Um, I get these reflections from Father Richard Rohr, and um, he kicked off 2016 focusing on love. And um, this actually came out um, January 6th. Um, and I read it, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> just fit right where I was coming off of preaching on the 28th there, or 27th. So I want to share it with you, and it's just listen, take it in, think about the intimacy, think about your relationship with God, and um, what he is calling you into in terms of intimacy with the Father and the Son. Said so this is written on January 6th. Today is called the 12th day of Christmas. Perhaps because it took at least 12 days and then some for the self-disclosure of God to slam into our consciousness. Intimacy is another word for trustful, tender, and risky self-disclosure. None of us can go there without letting down our walls, manifesting our deeper self to another, and allowing the flow to happen, often such vulnerability evokes and allows a similar vulnerability from the other side. Such was the divine hope in the humble revelation of God in the human body of Jesus. My mind and mouth stumble to even imagine it or dare to think it could be true. Yet Christians dare to claim this reality. Such human intimacy is somewhat rare and very hard for all of us, but particularly for men and for all who deem themselves to be important people, that is, those who are trained to protect their boundaries, to take the offense, and to be afraid of all weakness or neediness. God seems to have begun thawing this glacial barrier by coming precisely in male form as Jesus who then exposes maleness itself as also naked, needy, and vulnerable. Most cultures would say that is mind-blowing, heart-exploding, and surely impossible. Thus, the transmission of the secret, the inner mystery of God, continues in space and time, primarily through what Jesus calls again and again the little ones and the poor in spirit which he himself became. I think that many men, celibate men even more, are very afraid of intimacy, of barring, bearing their deepest identity to another human or even to God. Yet people who risk intimacy are invariably happier and much more real people. They feel like they have lots of handles, 
that allow others to hold on to them and that allow them to hold on to themselves. People who avoid intimacy are imprisoned in a small and circumscribed world. Intimacy is the only gateway into the temple of human and divine love. Healthy sexuality creates an obvious and ideal container for true intimacy, at least now and then. Unfortunately, the physical act of sex, which is meant to be a moment of embodied and experienced intimacy, is often not intimate at all. Both healthy celibacy and sexual encounter demand deep and true intimacy, yet celibacy and sex can also be the most effective avoidance of it. I believe vulnerable intimacy is the entrance into the linchpin between all human and divine love. It does not matter which comes first. It is just important that we pass through this gate of fear and find what lives inside us and on the other side of the gate. Intimate love is the true temple that we all desire. This longing seems to be hardwired into our beings in spite of our survival instincts. We have to want to love and to be loved very badly, or you will never go to this strange temple and will never find your true self. So God obliges and creates you in just that way, with a bottomless and endless need to be loved and to love.